Welcome to the Highfalutin Podcast. The Highfalutin Podcast is a conversational exploration into the topics of the day framed around a theme chosen in advance by your hosts, Monica Schrager, Ryan Norsworthy, and me, Matt McCarthy. The theme of the 10th episode of the Highfalutin Podcast is Thaw. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 10th episode of the High Flutin Podcast. The theme we chose to explore for this episode is Thaw. And we chose Thaw, you know, when I look at the world right now, I think about not only what's happening in the weather, where we are, and I don't want to understate that because that's huge. Like this time of year, you know, coming out of the, the months we've had, but um, We've had 20 inches of snow melt off the ground in the last week. Um, we've had the sun shining after a very gloomy month. And uh, spring is coming. You, you can feel it coming. And so that, that feels great so that we chose thaw for that reason, obviously, too. But we're also starting to see a thaw maybe in some other areas. And, and one that, that leaps out to me is I feel like we're starting to see a thaw in this COVID freeze we've been in for, for the past year. And um, we're starting to see that because the vaccines are starting to make the rounds, right? And that's, that's great. And it feels, for the first time, it feels like this thing is starting to, to come to an end. And um, I was looking at the numbers this morning in the, in the U.S., we reported in January 8th, nearly 275,000 new cases were reported on that day. And um, there was a week there around that that time where it was it was hovering around um, 200,000 new cases a day. Um, in the last week, we're kind of hovering between 50 and 60,000 new cases a day, which is still too many, obviously. But you can see uh, the progress that's happening. I think everybody really feared there was going to be a horrible like post-holiday spike, and I don't think we saw that to the extent that that we thought maybe we would. Um, we're seeing the trend go in the right direction. This, this thaw happening in our own city in Chicago. The, the COVID positivity rate is, was at 16% almost in November, which seems crazy. The, um, it's now down to 3%, which is the right direction. And it does, you know, Chicago feels like it's maybe lagging behind a little bit in some of the vaccine distribution. Um, so we're still, you know, those numbers are still heading in the right direction, which is great to see. So the... It's, it's, it's starting, we're starting to feel this thing, this f- freeze we've been in so long is starting to let its grip loosen up a little bit. And that feels really great. And that doesn't mean we should stop at the social distancing or it doesn't mean we should, you know, let up on wearing a mask. Um, this is the fourth quarter, right? And that means it's time to bear down and, and get it done, but we're getting there. And um, what do you guys think? I mean, that's, are you feeling that the the thaw, are you feeling that the effects of that or how do you feel about it? You know, I'm feeling good about it as well. Um, In the news, you've heard that we're ramping up vaccines um, with Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson Johnson was just approved as well. And if you've heard the United Center, which is where you know, our Bulls and Blackhawks play is going to become a big COVID-19 vaccine center as well. So I think we're definitely moving in a positive direction. My, my dad, my mom, and my stepmom have all already gotten their shots and their vaccines. And it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't too challenging to do. So, and I'm also starting to see Chicago starting to focus on um, underserved communities and going into those communities and, and targeting them for vaccinations as well. So I'm feeling really positive about COVID from a thaw standpoint. In addition to the weather here in Chicago, our lakefront trails opened up, our playgrounds have opened up, things are opening up and our numbers are going down, which is great. Yeah, so I, uh, it's hard to disagree. Things are definitely pointing in the right direction. Things are definitely pointing in the right direction. I, I do have pause. Um, we're, we're certainly not out of the woods, but things are definitely uh, looking up, and that's. Um, all what are possible. your what, what are your you know what are your points that you that give you pause? Well, I, I mean, I just think that that the testing isn't going as great for everyone, and the numbers aren't as great for everyone. Um, but there's, things there's are, definitely an inequality there that we see. Yeah. 
things are done, but things are pointing in the in the right direction. And I don't want to take away from uh, that uh, and the theme of what we're doing. I, I just, I, I, as you guys spoke, I, I, I just, I thought of certain things that where I would uh, normally say, oh well, this is not one hundred percent accurate, or this isn't one hundred percent accurate. But the truth of the matter is, is that the subject matter is that we're. And the most important part is that we're moving in the right direction. You can point out flaws anywhere, but. Yeah. Parts of it are still frozen. There's no question, you know, but I mean, we are, it, it, you are starting to see that thaw happening and that doesn't, you're right to point those things out. And that doesn't mean we should not, you know, we should ignore those things. Um, right. The vaccine rollout is interesting to me. Like, I don't know how quite to feel about it. Like my mom is going in today for her first shot. And of course I'm super grateful that she's going in, but she's been trying for weeks to, you know, to no avail to get an appointment somewhere. Um, my dad still needs to get in. I, you know, I have no idea when we'll get shots. I mean, you know, it seems unnecessarily difficult. That's the feedback I keep kind of hearing is like everything, everybody's kind of surprised and horrified at like how difficult it is. And, I get it. It's there's a limited supply and there's a large, you know, number of people that need it. And it's, you know, it's, it's tough. I don't know how to feel about the rollout though. It, it, it feels like it could have been done better. What do you think, Monica? It totally could have, as we all have heard, Trump didn't do much to support vaccine rollout in the States. He sort of put it on the States to manage it themselves and States are managing multiple other things, their own budgets. And it was a major challenge. So I think with Biden in office, we're on a better path. He's increased those dosages. I've also read a lot about the system to get an appointment is all online. And a lot of seniors are not typically so adept at technology, not to stereotype, um, but or they're just not used to interacting with the health profession in that manner. So as a result, it's a challenge. And I, I'm not surprised but I think I'm hoping it will streamline now that we have larger supplies or will have larger supplies available soon. I agree with that for sure. The Johnson and Johnson one is interesting. The um, you know, that, that should loosen things up a little bit. And the, I read the report that, you know, you shouldn't wait for one of the other ones. Like if you get access to the Johnson and Johnson one, take it, even though the efficacy is a little bit less than, than the other ones. Um, but you know, whichever shot you get access to take, please. I don't think we're going to get a choice. No, I don't think you do. <laughs> you know, I don't think yeah. we could go in and say, give me a choice. We can get an appointment. And we're going to get the one that they have. And but I, I think, think you could ask. I think some people are asking like, which one, which ones do you have? Oh, I'm going to back off making an appointment here. You know, if, if that's floating around out there, don't do that. People just please take what you can, you can get right now. I, I suspect they're going to stop giving that information out too, because it's, it's a dangerous game for people to be trying to get a certain one in different well, places. You also know that, you know, like certain variants of the shot, you need a follow-up appointment and certain ones you don't, you know, so that gives you kind of a, a tip right away of which one you're getting. Well, there's also talk that we might need a booster in right? some case down the road for these variations. I think it's also, if we look forward, it's going to be similar to the flu vaccine in that each year you're going to have to get it at least for now, maybe down the road, like measles, mumps, rubella, it'll be a single shot and it will be made up of what they think is the most common strain that year. Um, but for now, obviously take what you can get. I agree with that approach. And if you need a booster down the road, get it. When Steve got really sick, my husband last year, which was the flu, but I suspect maybe it was COVID too. It was end of January. They, they told him he had the flu and he asked if I had had the flu shot, would it have helped? And they said, you wouldn't have gotten that sick. So what this, what this shot vaccine is preventing us from is from getting really sick, from going to the hospital, from needing to get on an, an oxygen. We still might get a little, and we might get it and might not feel that great, but it's going to save us from dying or ending up in the hospital. That's a great point, Monica. Yeah. I think the flu shot, you know, analogy is a good one. You know, I think that it's going to work just like that, that there's going to, you know, like there are year stories every year that like, well, I, I got the flu shot, but I still got the flu, you know, and that could happen. It doesn't, you know, it does not going to guarantee, but it, there's no question. The science says that, you know, you won't get as sick. You won't, you know, it'll be a milder case. You'll recover quicker. Um, and it, you know, you're going to be better protected and that's how, that's the only way we're going to get there, right. Is to get this vaccine in enough people that the virus, you know, 
know, can't keep spreading and it's, and it dies out. Um, so herd immunity. Yeah. 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 I was saving this for ending on a high note, but I think it's useful. You can't, you can't keep now. it in, huh? You can't keep <laughs> I it can't. in. Right. There was a Washington Post article, which was really awesome about how the people who are the vaccine administration sites are like the happiest places right now. And the people who are administering the vaccine are just feeling a lot of joy. There's a lot of tears. Um, there's a lot of happiness, a lot of relief, and they are feeling really great about having this, you know, ability to provide this um, vaccine to people. So they say it's the happiest place in medicine is anywhere where there's a vaccine and the happiest people in medicine are the ones plunging it into the arms of strangers. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, that is and, cool. and the great quote that I do have to quote, you know, this is probably the most important thing I'll ever do in my career, said a healthcare provider. Giving that hope to others is giving these COVID administrators more hope themselves. So there's a lot of hope involved in those, in the administration of the vaccine. God, I should have saved my mom's vaccination for ending on a high note. <laughs> we blew it. We blew it. You know, uh, it's easy to uh, sometimes um, forget about the good things that are going on when um, there's bad things going on. And it kind of leads me to uh, what I want, what thought made me think of and the uh, kind of uh, energy crisis that's going on in Texas, still ongoing at this moment of recording, um, but uh, really took hold last week. You know, in, in local politics, you don't get a lot of credit for when things go right, but you certainly hear about it when things go wrong. And uh, I think that's uh, something it's one of you had said recently made me think of that uh, in dealing with all uh, that we're dealing with in this country right now. Um, but if for anybody that didn't know, there was a huge um, weather crisis in Texas that triggered a uh, seemingly very preventable problem in uh, an energy shortage or blackouts um, because they weren't, uh, the system wasn't insulated or ready to deal with the uh, weather that uh, was very rare, but has happened before and they were warned about. It took hold with me because I have a lot of uh, relatives in Texas, including my parents. Um, so I, uh, you know, took to uh, getting some of their opinions to see how, what they felt about it. And um, it's really a crisis. It's, and it's unfortunate that it's um, maybe not being covered quite enough. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, I, I'm following that in the news. It's been terrible. I mean, reading stories about like people boiling snow for, you know, they're using snow to like, as water to flush their toilets because they don't, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And the, uh, if, if if you think that something like that could happen, you have to build and, and prevent against it. Um, and Texas has been for years, you know, want to be they deregulate, they don't want to be held to, to those standards. Well, there's a reason for those regulations. And I'm not saying I'm, you know, um, you get, you know, you deserve this or anything deserves got nothing to do with it. Um, it's terrible. Um, but you know, the people who made those decisions about that, you'd like to see them held accountable somehow. Yeah, there was, um, I have a few colleagues who work in Texas and have experienced the blackouts and the rolling blackouts. Um, and also I think, I can't remember what city is it is, but there is one city in Texas that, or a portion of Texas that is on the federal grid versus the other. And it was like night and day and that I think further reinforced you know, the difference. Also, did you hear members of, I think, the regulatory board resigned, you know, and ERCOT. Yeah. And so it, it's, it's this, I'm with you, Matt. I think it was a lot of this somewhat egotistical pride that, you know, we do things our own way in Texas, but this is an example of that kind of, of the lack of observance and to the needs coming back to bite them. Yeah, so I mean, kind of going back to the start of it, um, in explaining what's going on is that Texas isn't, um, from firsthand experience, Texas isn't prepared for such kind of weather. So 
they don't have basements and their houses aren't insulated the same. And um, their homes aren't necessarily heated uh, and cool the same way. So while some cities like, or homes like my own, heat is separate from electricity, but in a lot of cases, um, Texas isn't prepared for, you know, that kind of heat demand or that kind of demand on their electricity. And they were basically betting that this would never happen. There, the, this ERCOT, which is an acronym for Electric, Electric Reliability Council of Texas, which is kind of funny because it wasn't very reliable when people needed it most. And so they essentially had a weather crisis 10 years ago. And they had done a review, and the review essentially said that you need to insulate your systems um, or, you know, you could have a da- disaster. Texas was within five minutes of completely collapsing from an energy perspective. So if you can imagine, the people that are least prepared, by no fault of their own, their complete energy energy system collapsing and then not being able to really do anything about it. And Texas was five minutes away from that. Um, Texas is the eighth largest economy on the planet. And it's basically, um, and the fault lies, many people are blaming obviously the politicians and um, they should be held to account. And the pain isn't over. This is ongoing. People are still boiling water. Um, there were hypothermia deaths. People were dying, literally freezing to death. Um, and that, that shouldn't happen in Texas. That shouldn't happen in our country. Yeah. One other thing I do want to say on that, too. There was a lot of blame being put on the wind, you know, on the natural um, energy, versus, and which was incorrect. You know, apparently. It's another wind. Yeah, Texas, Texas has wind farms. They only get about a small percentage of their energy from that. But they were trying to say, like, this is an example of how, you know, the Green Deal would tank Texas. Some people were trying to say, which was incorrect. This is an example of how climate change is impacting the earth. Will Texas learn from this? We will see. But to blame it on that natural energy is not correct. Well, the same Maybe people that are making those claims are the same people who are responsible for it. Yeah. So yeah. they're trying to shift that blame. They try to uphold Texas as this great independent um, deregulated energy program. And it's led to this humanitarian disaster. The insurance claims are in the tens of billions of dollars already. Um, because of that lack of insulation, um, pipes are, people don't understand the collateral damage of not having energy for a prolonged period of time. Uh, pipes failed you know, people's lives were put at risk and lost um, for lack of resources that were readily available had they been prepared. Um, So um, full circle, like a politician's duty is to make sure that the disaster, like, you know, if you live in a city like Chicago, you got to clear the streets in this wintertime and you got to pick up the garbage. That's just baseline. You will lose your job. And these govern these uh, people um, in charge in Texas, they they just failed at a very basic level. Got to keep the lights on. Yeah. And another way they failed is that uh, Ted Cruz, their senator, went <laughs> off to Cancun and his wife's texts were exposed. It was a quick last minute trip that she like sent text to all the neighborhood saying, we're, we're freezing. We're th- anyone can get away. We're thinking of going to Cancun. Meanwhile, Beto O'Rourke, who lost to Ted Cruz in the last election was hands on the ground, like trying to help the communities. Hands on the ground. Well, feet on the ground. He was <laughs> boots on the ground. hands in boots on the ground. He was involved. I get you. I get you. I'm sorry. Um, the, uh, that Ted Cruz thing was delicious. I mean, that was like, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. I mean, geez, the, uh, the pic, the, the pictures of him at the airport where he's like, Oh, I was just taking my daughters down. He's got that huge bag. He's, he's carrying her around. Like, right. Just, just taking your daughters down. Yep. The, uh, what a moron. Yeah, I mean, he tried to say it was, sorry. He tried to say it was, yeah, being a good father. It right. was, you know, for his daughter. He kids under the bus. <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah, he totally did. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, like, who does that? Like, uh, you know, why'd you mess up? Ah, you know, my uh, kids. You know, my kids. Ah. Yeah, my stupid kids. My dog <laughs> ate my homework. 
I mean, that is incompetence, like 101. I mean, the optics of leaving town in the middle of a disaster when you are or could be held account for that disaster. It makes no sense. I mean, can I mean, you imagine the campaign ads the next time around with like, you know, Ted Cruz in Cancun, you know, all the uh, mariachi bands. Somebody sent a mariachi band to his house. Did you see that serenade him? I loved that. Awesome. I, I heard one of my favorite people in the media say publicity is the, uh, the soul of justice. And it's basically speaking of like the, you know, the fourth, uh, you know, wing of the, uh, the government is the press. And that I've always, all of our podcasts, I've, I've stressed how, you know, in today's day and age, you can, you just cannot get away with such things. Be, well, you know, the last administration shows that you can get away with quite a bit, but people are going to know about it. It's quite obvious. Um, you can't just slip away with your mistress into the night or, uh, you know, not that he had a mistress, but you, you understand what I'm saying. I, and, and for him to not know that somebody's going to notice their Senator of which there's only a hundred in this country uh, who's trolling everybody else. Every chance he gets is going to slip away for a little vacation during in the middle of a state's like worst crisis. Exactly. And for the exact reasons of his party's doing, it's all deregulation is how like this led to this. They've got Republican senators, congressmen, uh, all all Republican, governor, all Republican. They all love deregulation. This is what their deregulation got you. It's just like the financial crisis, right? I mean, it's like, you know, you deregulate, you deregulate, you deregulate, and suddenly there's crisis and everybody looks around and says, how does this happen? Well, you've been peeling away those regulations for the last decade. You know, this is how that happens. And many of the nervous say it's been a tough year on us, you know. (laughs) Yeah, because of you. (laughs) I needed a break after that capital thing, you know. (laughs) <laughs> that I caused. Like you're like you're like you're to blame for all of this, like a, a lot of it, and it's just like, oh yeah, I need to slip away the, the pressure. How about the rest of us? Yeah. All right, should we move on Do to it. the administration? Do it. So, one Merrick Garland will make an awesome attorney general, and if you heard men portions of his hearing, it really proved how much we lost out without him on the Supreme Court. But there was mention that that loss has been our gain at this point in time. And he has made his priority the riot at the Capitol and fighting domestic terrorism. He also has that experience with the Oklahoma sitting bombing and he was the prosecutor there. He also plans to restore faith to the Justice Department and I'm sure he will. There were also a couple great quotes in his hearing in particular, one Cory Booker asked him, why would you give up a lifetime federal bench appointment for this? And his response was actually really touching. And he was talking about how his family, you know, his family, his grandparents fled anti-Semitism and persecution and came here and the country took them in and protected them. And he, as a result, feels an obligation to the country to give back, which was really Awesome. And he sort of choked up a little bit while he was saying it too. There was also actually another really great um, quote in there. Senator John Kennedy, you know, asked him about implicit bias. He wasn't understanding the description of that. He was saying, does that mean I'm a racist no matter what I do or what I think? And he had a great description about what implicit bias is. It just means that every human, you know, it's a part of being human. And we just need to examine our implicit biases to bring our conscious mind up to our unconscious mind and to know that we're behaving in a stereotypical way. And everyone has stereotypes. It's not possible to go through life without them. And implicit biases are the ones that you don't recognize. And that doesn't make you a racism, but you need to work to kind of recognize them and work towards them. So he was just very awesome to hear his responses. And I'm very excited about him, you know, in that role. That was also, a great choice for, for yeah. Biden. And I mean, that was, yeah, he'll be terrific. And then people even say if Biden does get a pick during his administration, hey, Merrick Garland can yeah. maybe still go up for it. Sure, sure. Also, Deb Holland having the first Native American and woman as the head of the interior, which is long overdue, you know, particularly since it 
you know, overseas and manages all our Native Americans. Did that, did that confirmation go through? I think uh, it did. It's more than likely going to get shut down. That's what I, I heard. Think so? like, I don't think I am oh, hearing like yeah. some negative rumblings. Mm. Oh, it's beyond that. She's not going to get confirmed. What? No. There was something, something in her past about, I don't know, some kind of comment she made. Uh, tweets. Just yeah. tweets. Yeah. Ironically. Mm. Well, fingers crossed. I yeah. think Garland is a great pick and I've loved the things that he's had to say um, yeah. thus far. And it is a, uh, a great injustice that he hasn't been able uh, that he wasn't given the chance to be a Supreme Court justice. Um, however, I will say that the Supreme Court has uh, lately been um, given some results that uh, I think surprised the people that nominated them. Oh yeah, uh, that they released uh, the former president's tax returns, which he's been fighting for uh, yep. over uh, four years. And they also um, shot down uh, his claims of, you know, voter impropriety. So I think that, at least for me, squashed my biggest fears of what that court would do. So, so far, so good. Um, Obviously, there's other issues um, that they're going to weigh in on that. um, But I um, I, I'm happy thus far that the Supreme Court seems to be doing its job. Yeah. I hope that Manhattan DA like grabs a bunch of the smartest kids at Columbia and, and gets them that pour over those tax returns and and, and find every little I, I mean, there's they can. That's what I heard. Millions of pages. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I don't think there's any doubt that the man is a criminal. Um, and I, I mean, I think they're just trying to find out if he paid off Stormy Daniels. So I don't, <laughs> I, don't I mean, I don't think that's going to be hard to find. Um, I, I think the, I think the, um, what we are anticipating is that there's going to be much more, um, that comes out from that, but yeah, uh, he's, uh, in the eyes of that district attorney, I think, uh, he's a, uh, figurative dead man. Yeah, there is, um, if you've seen as well, I think we're still fighting some voter suppression and still some ideas that this election was. Oh, yeah. Race um, still exists. Yeah. And uh, no, totally. And, you know, Trump, I guess, is at a conference where there are no less than seven se- sessions vote- focused on how voter fraud stole the election. And even you're starting to see a few state Republican parties are trying to vie to get his supporters into, you know, net upcoming elections. And they're still passing voter suppression you know, laws. The Iowa, Iowa Senate passed a bill shortening the period of early voting and creating a strict cutoff for absentee ballots, which all Republicans voted in favor of and all the Democrats voted against. You're speaking of CPAC, which uh, takes yes. place this weekend. It'll be the first time we hear from our former um, disgrace of a president. And what they're doing is by him never denying that or admitting that Biden won, he's still going with this theory that it was, you know, the the election was stolen, which is how the Capitol got stormed and all this other nonsense, is that that they can continue to use that as an excuse to suppress voter turnout. We got to get rid of the fraud. We got to get rid of the fraud. And all they're saying is essentially is we got to get rid of these Democratic people of color votes. We got to get rid of all these votes that aren't working for us. Um, and that's that's uh, that's the brilliance of their hatred. And the GOP needs to get their shit together. I mean, they are a disgrace right now. They are. When Mitch you- McConnell is your you know voice of reason, like you really need to take a look in the mirror. And he's flip flops. He wants to hear from them. I mean, they're working. They're working hand in hand. To they have a common goal. <laughs> And sure. uh, and they we call that Congresswoman uh, Green. I forget her full name. Marjorie, Marjorie. Taylor. Yeah. But she's still there's still a. She's a horrible human being. She still represents a, 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 what people are you know a sentiment of. It might be extreme, but that the party is moving that direction. The party is. I I heard a report just this week that seventy percent of people that voted for Trump still believe there was impropriety in the election that i mean that's 
believing in a fallacy. If you believe in a fallacy, you can be brought into other mistruths. And that's yeah. dangerous. Well, I wonder if I'm curious, you're right. I'm curious if we're going to see a split in the party. There's been discussion of potentially a more moderate wing, but like, like you said, Matt, they've got to figure things out and get things together. Cause right now when I think Republican, it's extreme, it's racism. Monica, I think, yeah, I agree. Uh, however, I don't think, and there's a faction that does want to separate. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the important part. I think the important part is who retains the power. Yeah. So they can split all they want, but if it's a 80, 20 split (laughs) and who cares, you know what I mean? If it's a 75, 25 split and it's split that way because they're making calculated moves to retain votes. It's no longer based in any kind of theory. It's just about winning. Yeah, exactly. Well, I wonder if they will find a leader that can contend with Trump. I don't see one at this point, but. They don't have the numbers, I, I think. And I, uh, Matt, I was, I was uh, saying that it's not so much uh, as, if, as if the GOP will split, but where the power will go in that split. Well, also, aren't, they, aren't we seeing trends in le- people leaving the Republican Party? I've seen some stats around well, that's, that. I mean, if, if the more extreme like wing of the party, you know, wings out and that's the that's the direction they take. Like if I'm a Democrat, I just run centrist for the right until that ends, you know, like because there's I mean, the you know, the progressives are not going to vote for the wing nut and, the you know, and the people who are reasonable in the Republican Party aren't going to hopefully vote for the wing nut either. You know, so I mean, you just continue to run moderate candidates. Or independent, because I think I wonder if we might see the emergence of more independent because being automatically attached to Republican or Democrat is going to impact some people's opinion right out of the gate. Yeah, I, I worry. I don't know. I worry. I worry about multi-party systems and like small parties gaining, you know, seats in in power, because then like you have you have to you have like balance on like these big wings of government but then you have this little block of vote that you have to court and they they represent a small part of the population but they have enormous power because you have to give them concessions to like swing the vote your way that's what's so, going on right now well it is i mean it's basically become a multi-party you know is is what's happened with the republicans the um i don't know i they have to get their shit together. GOP. I mean, you, you can't, you can't let crazy into your house like that. And, and, and they have opened the door wide open for crazy to stroll right through. And it is bizarre to watch. I think the silver lining is though, um, that Trump is in all kinds of legal trouble Amen. and that, um, he might, uh, hold, uh, a great deal of nice cards right now. I think he. That's all Antifa, Ryan. That trouble. That's all Antifa. No, I think he's over already overplayed himself because he's in serious legal trouble in multiple states. We've all heard it. I mean, it's just he had protection for so long. He doesn't have that protection, and I'm I'm gonna go on a whim. I don't think he really has all the kind of money that is going to support um, a defense in all these cases, especially if he wants to continue to contend that he won something because he obviously did not. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think you're right. Time will tell as all these cases build up momentum at the same time, watching how the prosecutions happen based on the riot on January 6th, those, I think more and more will be exposed around how they, hopefully it'll be realized that those people did not, you know, we're not fighting for something just, and that will impact some other people's opinions. It's, they attacked the Capitol. I, 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 you know, I don't know how you can call yourself a patriot yeah. and think that that is any kind of okay. They also attacked police officers. Right, I mean- And with, five of them are dead, two from suicide after the fact. Wow. With, or multiple from suicide. I mean, with that, you know, thin blue line theory, you know, or that uh, not thin blue line, uh, you know, blue lives matter movement. Guys were actually beat with those sticks. Yeah. With blue lives, you know, 
I, <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, you know, fear of a black planet is a real thing. Mm -hmm. Wow. It, yeah, it really is. The, uh, yeah, that, you know, capital, that's what Trump will be remembered for is that and, and 500,000 Americans dying and that'll be his legacy and, yeah. and he'll spend the rest of his life in jail at some point until, you know, and, unless he's got enough money that we don't know about squirreled away somewhere to buy his way out. But the uh, Or unless like Epstein, he commits suicide in jail. Yeah, yeah right. God. Which wasn't it was controversial if that really was. But. Is that where you were going with that? You know? Yeah, so that's what I was intending. There's there's rumors that it wasn't really. You think, there'll, so be some, you think there'll be some jailhouse justice? You the, never know. Uh, no, we, we, we of course we hope not. We don't advocate for that. The uh, I really don't um, like uh, conspiracy theories, but I, I I do believe that that gentleman was uh, murdered or lead, at see? least encouraged to. Uh, Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that that guy had, you know, a lot of beans to spill and uh, people did not want those beans spilled. I mean, that kind of that kind of ego, that kind of money, that kind mm -hmm. of influence. It, and then, it was you know, probably Antifa. <laughs> Why do you keep going back to that? Because <laughs> it's so ridiculous. <laughs> I, I, it's so funny. It's just like the boogeyman. The boogeyman did it. <laughs> like, like uh, you know, everything's going wrong. The boogeyman did it. It's Antifa. Oh, like, God. what? Like, they're carrying Confederate flags. Uh, they were fakes. They were actors. Yeah, I mean, these are the same. Uh, those like Sandy Hook and um, uh, Park. I forget the one in uh, Florida. Parkland. I mean, that's I, I. That is so hurtful. I don't understand people who can look at such a tragedy and go, ah, fake. Well, and that Marjorie Taylor Greene is is one of those damn people, you know. It's, yeah, of it's, course. Yeah. There's that there's that video of her harassing mm -hmm. David Hogg, like as a he's walking away. Yeah, a, he was eighteen. Yeah, he's a he was a minor. He was in the attack. He survived, and she's yelling at him. A victim. Yeah, yeah. By the way, did you hear? I do have to say it's really funny. David Hogg has created a pillow company to compete yes. against my pillow. <laughs> is that right? What a good yes, idea! Yes. I love <laughs> it. Like, Troll Supreme. Oh, that is. <laughs> I love it. That restores some faith that, right that there. Is, that's hilarious. Yeah. Yes, I did hear that. I'm that's gonna funny. buy me some some green commie pillows. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and now, time for arts and culture. One thing I'm excited about is our museums are opening up again. And over the last few weeks, I've gone to the Shedd Aquarium, the Field Museum, and just last weekend to the Art Institute. And Bravo. Artists, Bravo. Yes. And thank you. Thank you. Um, and they're, uh, you know, they're adhering to they're you know, giving time tickets. Everyone's wearing a mask. They have signs all over the place about social distancing. They're all doing a really good job. In particular, I do want to call it an exhibit I saw at the Art Institute, which is Bisa Butler. And she um, is a black artist that does these really vibrant black portraits made of fabric and quilts. And she and her husband actually also put together an accompanying playlist for their um, for their exhibit, um, which is on Spotify. And you can see all this on the website for the Art Institute. Um, and her portraits in particular really represent the great migration and really replicate famous portraits. There's one awesome portrait, which I don't know if you all have seen or comes to mind. It was taken here in Bronzeville. It's a boy sitting on a car in Easter Sunday. It's by Russell Lee and it's kind of cool. They're all just sitting kind of really cool in a car. Um, but check that out. She also, it read, was influenced by Afrocobra, which I had never heard of, uh, but it was the African commune of bad relevant artists. And it was actually established in Chicago in the late 60s. So I was kind of curious to now investigate a little bit more about Afrocobra. And she was also influenced by the great photographer and director, Gordon Parks, who I'm a big fan of. So check out the Art Institute of Chicago's website, Bisa Butler, her exhibit. And if you are in Chicago and feeling comfortable, I would highly recommend you check it out. And in particular, the playlist too on Spotify. God, you're so brave. I haven't done the, uh, like, I'm still a little nervous to go to the museums, I guess. The, I've been wanting to go to see the Van Gogh exhibit and I just like haven't like, because so first of all, I'm like, well, I don't want to drive down there and like pay for parking, which I guess I would just do if that's what I really want to, you know, but I, I'm still anxious about taking the CTA like down to the museums and stuff. The, like, I don't love that idea. You know, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I haven't taken the CTA. I previously hadn't since last March, but we had tickets to the Shedd Aquarium um, a few, like when we had that bad snowstorm that Sunday. 
So, but, so Steve and I were like, we're going to go, we're going to make this. So we tried to drive out of our drive into the alley, <clears throat> got stuck. Nice neighbors helped us back into the driveway. And then we thought, you know, we're going to take public transportation. We haven't done it in forever. So we took a bus and a train downtown, which were not crowded and hiked in the snowstorm to the shed aquarium. So wow. we got right. out there and got there. I did see the Van Gogh exhibit actually a few months ago when last time the museum was open and it was excellent as well. It's, you know, it, it's, it's a balance. You're right. You're taking a slight risk, but it depends on your comfort level. And, you know, they're now advising doubling masking up, which, you know, you could do and it's everyone's well, think, comfort level. I think a lot of the double masking has to do with that. Most masks are kind of half-assed. So yeah, the gaiters, I see a lot of people with the gaiters and, and I've heard if you wear them, you should double up. And basically a good test, they said, is like blow through your mask and hold like a candle or something on the other side. And if the air comes through, it's not a good mask. Shouldn't be wearing those ones with the valves, you know, shouldn't be wearing ones loose on the side or bottom. I saw the, uh, the uh, is it Bill Nye, the science guy? Mm -hmm. He did the candle test. That's funny you brought that up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Man, when all the... the <clears throat> I'm sorry, I had tickets to the shed. Uh, and chose not to go because it was the coldest day, and like in Chicago history that day. Uh, it, it, I think it was also Super Bowl Sunday. So, but I have uh, taken the L. I'm a cyclist. I, I prefer to ride any chance I can. But there were a few times where the snow and cold just got to be too much, and I took to the L. And uh, I had uh, extremes of the spectrum. I had very positive experiences and I had very negative experiences and I don't want to disparage my city at all, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it was, I can't, I can't blame anybody for not wanting to take public transportation, especially in these times. It was a little off subject. So I'll leave it at that. No, good. Uh, so arts, uh, my art story I came up with a good one this year, at least, or this year, this uh, episode. Um, and that I saw a story on the news and it was a story called learning to breathe. Um, and I took a uh, note of it is because I've uh, suffered a, a pneumothorax, which is a lung collapse. And um, that, that there's breathing techniques and that you have to, you know, it's, a lot of people take for granted their breathing, but it, there's a lot of technique to it. And the story was about how opera singers were using um, techniques to help rehabilitate uh, COVID patients. As many of you know, when you suffer from COVID, you, uh, a lot of people are put on respirators. It's a respiratory disease, respiratory virus that affects your uh, lungs and your breathing. So even people that have recovered, uh, a lot of people suffer from something that's called long COVID, which is uh, like chronic shortness of breath. And um, with everything being shut down, the, na uh, the English National Opera started this rehabilitation program. So they're using their time off that where, where they couldn't perform because everything is shut down to um, turn to Zoom and start to re rehabilitate people with the techniques of opera singing to improve their lung, lung strength um, and their breathing skills through rec uh, relaxation and breath control. And um, I just thought it was, it's like physio physiotherapy uh, for the lungs. And I just thought that was just, I thought about a lot of stories, but, uh, or I always struggle with finding stories for the art section, but this one hit me um in a personal way and uh i thought it was cool yeah that's awesome artists that's a great example of how artists can be very resilient and very adaptive and this is a great example of how they can or how important there. art is not to cut you off mm -hmm. it's like that it's Even not though you did <laughs> i apologize uh that, that, that art is like, it's just as important as, or yeah. can be just as important as science and other disciplines. And um, it's not, it's not something to much like, like schools being open. There's like many things that, that, that interpersonal connection makes and like art does something that the other um, science disciplines don't have. Yeah. I read an article 
I can't remember the exact details, but it was something about a woman who was an artist in New York versus overseas in London. And, and she said overseas, like they protect their artists and they support their artists. Like artists can get unemployment, you know, more easily because of the value of art. But in New York, you're, you're kind of, you know, on your own or scrapping, you know. It definitely, yeah. I think, place a higher value on artists and the creation of art overseas. And I don't know why it's it's so overlooked here. The, you know, unless it's a you're an Instagram influencer or, you know, like, yeah, people don't seem to care. It's like Texas. That's like a, a it's like a microcosm. It's just like you put your preference on, you know, and this independence at the sacrifice of things that can benefit us all and make us better people, um, you know. You don't go to school to just learn one thing. You learn, you go to school to learn a broad scope of things. And that's why diversity is important. And that's the world we live in. It's, you know, it's impractical to think that I'm just going to, you know, just do this when there's a whole world out there. Yeah, agreed. So I don't know. I, uh, speaking of the resiliency of art, right, I, I guess. Uh, 101 years old Lawrence Ferlinghetti died this past week the uh so I guess his resiliency ended but he was a resilient artist um <laughs> but uh he was he's kind of to me I don't know like one of the last of the beat guys from that generation he's the owner of or was the owner of City Lights bookstore in uh in San Francisco and of course he famously published Howell the the Ginsburg uh poem and book and was was um, arrested for that and charged with obscenity and um the uh he was famously uh a, a promoter of of art and an artist himself and an encourager and of the arts and it's it's sad to see him go i mean it's inevitable he's 101 years old so he lived a full exciting amazing life but he was a real, it feels a little bit like the end of an era. Um, Michael McClure died last year. He was one of the kind of last beat guys hanging around. Um, that was a real interesting moment in writing and in art. And, and I don't know that we've seen one like it since, you know, there was in the twenties, there was the lost generation. I think in the sixties, there was the beats, you know, I don't know that we've seen like a great movement like that and, and letters and, and things like that since. But Lawrence Ferlinghetti, I just wanted to, to mention him. And uh, he was a guy who really believed that art should be accessible to all people, not just a handful of people. And he uh, really believed in insurgent art and in, in um, art to change, um, art, art to affect change. So I just wanted to raise a, a cup to Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Cheers. Um, we've talked about this in a past podcast, but we've seen a lot of great artist movements come out of controversial times, like the whole WPA movement out of, you know, the depression. And I wonder if, you know, Biden seems like a good guy, seems to appreciate art. So I wonder if we might see, or even organically, a movement really coming out of this pandemic. I hope so. I think you will without question. I, I, I mean, I've said it before. I, I mean, these kind of times drive artists, you know, the Afro-American experience. I mean, please, it's, it's such great art comes from pain and despair and uh, trying times um, where people are, are, I assume, forced uh, to express in a way that hasn't been previously seen before or expressing in the only way they know how through voice or visual or, you know, how, how be it, whether they be, <clears throat> excuse me, famous or not, you know, people have to find a way to express themselves. And in trying times when you're essentially locked away, you know, there's, there's, mm -hmm. there's outcome and uh, there's creative people and that's the only way they can express it. Yeah, yes. like I said, they'll pivot, they'll redefine, they'll revisit. Life always finds a way. Indeed. Now it's time for High Pollutant Sports. So uh, there was many sports stories that I was thinking about this week uh, or for this podcast. Uh, we had the Super Bowl. We have the uh, NFL quarterback uh, carousel. Um, we... Uh, 
Well, in the Super Bowl, we had this great comparison. Uh, a lot of people called it uh, goat versus baby goat. You know, uh, the, the the greatest quarterback uh, versus the uh, you know heralded uh, next coming in his own right. But sneakily, I believe uh, that the real goat versus baby goat story was the Australian Open. Um, if you look at one of the greatest athletes of their times, we cannot forget about Serena Williams, a historical um, powerhouse who won her last Grand Slam while being pregnant. Easily, arguably one of the greatest athletes, male or female, regardless of sports, on the face of the planet. And she literally got it handed to her <laughs> by a 23-year-old. Uh, by the name of uh, Noam, uh, Naomi Osaka. Thank you. Thank you. Who is a uh, Japanese native um, with uh, Haitian descent. Her father's Haitian. Her mother's Japanese. And uh, she hasn't lost in over two years. 23. And her father uh, modeled his training techniques off the Williams family technique and she is of awe and she's uh, openly talks about being nervous about playing her idol and i think that is so much um i think that is the greatest uh, sports story that we've talked about since uh uh we started doing this so naomi osaka over uh serena williams um and what perhaps could be her last uh uh australian open um, still at the verge of being the greatest Grand Slam, having more Grand Slams than any other uh, tennis player uh, ever, um, being uh, defeated by the uh, the upstart who idolized her. Yeah, no, Naomi Osaka talks about how she watched, you know, when she was a kid, she watched Serena Williams. And this is also another testament to the impact that the Williams sisters have had on diversifying tennis and inspiring really you know young girls of color in particular to pursue their sports dreams i don't think we're done with serena i think she still wants to win she's supposedly won away from margaret court's record but if you look at that woman's record it's australian it was back in the day when tears were different so i think it's not regardless of if she pursues it or not she's still the greatest of all of all time and she will yeah, you can't compare different eras you know exactly yeah, no, I, but, I, I, but that's I, that's sometimes what she's held against but with a disqualifier or a qualifier mm-hmm. um, and may i may i just say just as a sports fan um i don't watch a lot of tennis but getting that 24th and she's a she's an all-time great regardless um that's gonna be hard uh because uh osaka destroyed her I like, I don't know a lot about tennis, but I know when I see somebody that's like light years ahead of, of better than somebody else. And that is what I saw in that match, uh, which I saw in replay because um, it's in Australia. I couldn't stay out of it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we're talking like, you know, next level of talent. And, and we're talking also, I don't know how old Serena is, but Osaka is only 23. So, you know, sometimes you just, there's a there's always that great saying in sports that uh, Father Time is undefeated. So, well, that's a nice story, but we know that the real story is everybody's waiting with bated breath to see what the Bears will do with the quarterback situation. No, no. Why? The, uh, no. Carson Wentz off to, <laughs> so to not Indy. true. The, I'm uh, not. Nick Foles waiting in the wings here in Chicago. The, you see the uh, Russell Wilson. That's the rumor du jour. The uh, Russell. Let me Wilson. say this publicly. Let me say this publicly. I gave up on the Bears when they chose. Why you got to hate? I gave up on the Bears when they chose Mitch Trubisky over Patrick Mahomes and very obviously Deshaun Watson in the 2017 draft. They are suffering for it and will continue to suffer for that mistake in judgment. Hey, Mitchell wasn't the guy I wanted in that draft either, but he was the guy we got. And and by golly, he gave it his all. And, uh, you know, he came up a little bit short. And now Ryan Pace is going to is going to try again. And, 
I, I hear uh, if we want uh, to take a and there's no there's no guarantee that uh, like why would Seattle trade Russell Wilson right even if he wants to trade. What but, are you uh, talking about? This is not going to happen. It, it's in the papers. To, it's in the papers the last two days that Russell Wilson's agent has said there's four teams he would go to and the Bears are one of the teams. And um, and if, even if okay, let me entertain your scenario where we please, please entertain where, me. Will we trade for Russell Wilson? Mm-hmm. What we would have to give up three first round picks would only compound their problems and giving away so much potential talent. Ryan, you put you put Russell Wilson on that team. We're a Super Bowl team. Not necessarily. You are a comedian. He's gonna he's gonna bring free agents with him, just like touchdown Tommy Brady did. You know, they guys are gonna wanna, we guys give are gonna up wanna play with them. You know, what, you're missing the point that and, and those are very funny points, but you give up too much capital to retain him. That's the problem with like gaining a superstar. What you have to give up to re, like to get like, his like Khalil Mack is that is that your uh, so yeah, so you're going to sacrifice everything you are. To get hey, it's not like we're doing never. lights out with our first round picks in the draft, you know. Like maybe we spend them on a quarterback and uh, we stop this horrible nightmare in Chicago of the quarterback. I will carousel. continue this conversation with you when the Bears get new leadership and new coach. Yeah, I'm with Bear. that. I'm with behind Ryan there. Bear when is the draft, by the way? I have not been paying attention, but I'm curious to see where some of the I believe it's in April. Yeah, it's always in April. But they have to declare in February, don't they? Or well, so uh, the free agency period uh, starts. Uh, it's like the midway through March. I believe it's March. Okay. But, but I'm wondering about the college players who might go early, like the juniors. They will. Those guys are. Yeah. They will declare themselves for the draft between now and. and Most of those guys uh, already have. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm curious about some of the Clemson players. That's funny. You're. Uh, the draft is the end of April. It's, it's Thursday. It begins April 29th on a Thursday, and then it ends on Saturday, May 1st. When, the draft is only like seven rounds now, but when we were kids, it used to be like 16 rounds long. It used to go all weekend, and there was no like computers and stuff, right? So we, I remember like listening to it on the radio, like while I was like doing yard work as a kid, and I had like my spiral notebook and I like my, my football magazine. I'd be like, who's this guy? Like, who'd they take? Oh my God. That yes. is cute. That's yeah, cute. Adorable. Yes. And yet you still root for the Bears. So we're uh 16 rounds. It wasn't 16 rounds. Yes, it was. There used to it used to be 16 rounds long. There were 16 drafted in the 16th round of the NFL draft. That, that would like that would be like drafting every I'm telling like, you, every I'm player, telling every you. player across the nation. Well, there you were there were fewer teams back then too. <laughs> right. So why would you have so many rounds? Well, because yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's how they did it. Yeah, I think you're going to edit that. It used to be, I'm looking it up right now. It was 16 rounds, <laughs> I, I swear to God. Meanwhile, can I move on to my sports topic? Oh, I'm sorry. All right, I want to talk about the Olympics, which is supposed to start in July with Paralympics in August. It was 12 August. rounds. That's what... All right, 12 rounds. So I want to talk about the Olympics, which is supposed to start in July with Paralympics well, start. Oh, geez. Was, you guys keep interrupting me. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to point out that it was supposed to be last year. It, exactly. All right. So, talking about the Olympics, which was supposed to start in July after being postponed from last year, with Paralympics starting in August. Uh, it was Tokyo 17 right now. rounds before 1967. Oh is what my happened. God! Really? I'm sorry, Mike. I was just I, kidding. I was just Jesus. joking. <laughs> I was just joking. <laughs> Somebody's drinking this morning. No, Can no, I I'm mute sorry. you? I was just joking. Go ahead. <laughs> yes, yes, you should mute. You can him. mute. Me. Right. You can mute. <laughs> I had a point. All right, so I want to talk about the Tokyo Olympics, which was supposed to start July 24th after being postponed from last year, with the Paralympics starting on August 25th. Is it's at risk? One, Tokyo is experiencing a spike, largely due to people that are not adhering to rules. There's also concern over the new variants. I don't know when the line of no, go, no go is going to be decided, but I think it's at this point in time seems highly risky to try to conduct this in July. That seems now, insane. In a, I mean, like, I don't mean to be no. judgmental, but that seems insane. I know. To bring all these athletes to one right? location and have them publicly compete just and then potentially stands as well. Like July is just 
I don't think it's realistic. Like so for I, gold medals? Like that seems crazy. Like I know. Yeah. So I and I also wonder if you have a lot of athletes that might opt out anyway. So yeah, no kidding. It's I I, I suspect that's going to get postponed, particularly because of what's happening in Tokyo as well. Now a second, the Olympics continues to its assault on women. I don't know if you all heard, but two-time Olympic champion Castor Semenya lost a long battle that she's had with track and field that limits female runners' natural high testosterone levels. So she cannot defend her title in the Olympics unless she agrees to lower her testosterone through medication or surgery. Human Rights Watch in a 2020 report has talked about this sex testing violating a lot of like human rights. Um, And it's being used to kind of police women's body who have higher testosterone and it's disproportionately affected women from the global South in general, so. Wow. Yeah. That's terrible. I had never heard that before. Yes. So that is something I want to highlight and talk about from the Olympics. At the same time, you guys have probably heard about the Japanese, the Japanese, Japanese Olympic Committee was discussing steps to bring more women onto their board. And the male leader, you know, voiced his concern saying, when you increase the number of female executive members, if their speaking time isn't restricted to a certain extent, they have difficulty finishing, which is annoying. And that was Yoshiro Mori, the former prime minister of Japan. He's since oh resigned, God. but the Olympics just, and it continues its assault on women. Cause as you remember, like a few years ago with women's gymnastics and the doctor there who was sexually assaulting almost all the gymnasts. So the Olympics really needs to get on board with equality. Well, I mean, there was the, uh, the guy that worked with the uh, doctor, I say in quotations that was convicted last year, who was uh, indicted, I believe yesterday and committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, I, however, that, that's not, that's, I mean, there's a difference between the United States Olympic Committee and the Olympic Committee. Right. And also I think when you talk about gathering, that's, I mean, that's a, 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 a problem in itself because every every much like the problems that we're having in the United States being the highest death COVID count in the world, every state is responsible for their own regulations. So when you gather people from around the world, you're dealing with all different sorts of rules. What like what will fly in Italy or France or Germany uh, may not fly in Canada, United States or Mexico. So obviously they would have one you know simple rule for everybody but yeah but the i can't imagine that Monica, i think you're right like i can't imagine they don't push that back i mean that feels that just feels like trouble yeah. waiting to happen yeah and now ending on a high note i have a couple things to mention three actually one the equality act has moved through the house which provides lgbtq plus protections um which would be awesome to see. I think we have a better chance now of seeing it being pushed through and adopted. So I'm excited about that. Two, dibs, for those of you who know what dibs is in Chicago. Dibs is where if we have a lot of snow, you dig out your spot, you can protect it with like chairs or random things. However, it goes a little too far. Like the snow is pretty much melted and people are still preserving their spots. And it's controversial too, because if you spark in someone else's spot, people will key your car. People will do damage to your car. I personally think it should be not allowed other than like a certain amount of time, but um, you know, it's been protected, but however, streets and sanitation is going to start picking up dibs next week. So it's ending, which is exciting. Um, And third, the really cool thing, if you guys saw this, the Mars Rover had an Easter egg hidden in the pattern of the parachute that people were figuring out. And the people who figured it out saw that it read basically Dare Mighty Things, which is the motto by NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab, which worked on the rover. And it's from an 1899 Teddy Roosevelt speech that reads, and I think I can excerpt this, Matt, because it is 1899. Far better is it to dare mighty things to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to take rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows not victory nor defeat. Apparently NASA NASA uses that dare mighty things throughout there um, in a lot of association with their Mars mission as well. So it's, we could think of it as the Mars catchphrase. I love it, that's great. Well, for me, the uh, high note, a couple things. The first of all, I mean, it's 
it's so great to see all the snow melt this week and the sun shining and the days getting longer and, you know, spring is coming and it's inevitable and it's, you know, but just, uh, we're, we're in the last days of February here and, uh, Thank God. And the thing I've really missed this winter is, you know, it's prevented us from being able to like get together and hang out, you know, like, cause when it was like summer, we could, you know, sit in the backyard and socially distance and then have a beer. And we haven't been able to do that at all. Um, in the, you know, in the wind, it's been zero degrees forever. It feels like. So, uh, I'm really looking forward to being able to do that again with you guys. And that's a big high note for me. And the other high note that I would be remiss if I did not mention, this is our 10th episode guys. And, uh, I just feel like that's a bit of a milestone and can, and congratulations and, um, just appreciate all the hard work you guys have done on this and, and proud of what we've done here together and, and happy that we we've, we've hit number 10. That's great. Great. So here's to 10 more. Cheers. Here's to yep. 10. Cheers to that. I do have to say, I did leave the house and go on a walk this week, which I have not really done in a long yeah. time, just even around a couple blocks in the I'm afternoon. I'm hoping to this afternoon. Yeah. And it just felt really nice to get that air, fresh air. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, the walk thing, uh, Finney, I have a dog, uh, Finney here, uh, who has uh, been missing out on walks for the better part of a month. So, we're happy to uh, get outside. And, you know, I think my greatest takeaway is, is the thaw. Um, uh, well, uh, let me tell you, say this. My greatest takeaway is that my family in Texas is okay. Um, and that they made it through uh, the uh, preventable disaster that happened down there. You know, there's going to be brighter days. And th- I, I'm, I'm thankful that things seem to be pointed in the right direction. It's, it's, as much wrong as I can find. Um, and see around me and the injustices. My greatest takeaway from this whole period is uh, a greater sense of community and a greater sense of togetherness and a greater appreciation for the things that I do have. So with the thaw, with uh, the worst of it, uh, hopefully uh, behind us, I am uh, thankful uh, to have the opportunity to see the future. Thank you for listening to the Highfalutin Podcast. Please make sure to check our website, highfalutinmedia.com, for more episodes and related content.